Welcome to From the Heart with Don Lister Sheher, Daniel Groom, he, him, and today's guest, Susanna Barkataki Sheher. Welcome, Susanna. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's wonderful. We're going to be discussing uh, Susanna's book, which I'm holding in my palms right now, Embrace Yoga's Roots, Courageous Ways to Deepen Your Yoga Practice. It is a beautiful book to look at and a beautiful book inside. It's truly wonderful. Um, thank you so much for bringing it to the world. It's uh, very timely, I feel, and uh, something I think we will return to more than once. It's not a book I think I'll just read once and put away in my shelf. It's kind of sat on my desk and I've flicked through it a few times and made a few notes. It feels uh, a book that I want to get involved in. Susanna is an Indian yoga practitioner in the Hatha yoga tradition. Barkataki helps you lead with yoga. Founder of Ignite Yoga's Wellness Institute and Embracing Yoga's Roots 500 teacher, certified yoga therapist. She runs two to 500 embodied yoga trainings. So you've been busy. And I'm sure there's a lot, there's a lot more to say other than that, but um, there's a brief introduction to who you are. Let's check in with each other. Daniel, how are you? What has been going on since I spoke to you an hour ago? <laughs> yes, work-wise. <laughs> I'm well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just explaining, actually. I, I'm, I'm having a bit of a, a, a difficult day today. So I've been um, taking really good care of myself. Mm -hmm. um, I just needed one of those days where I needed to switch off of news and switch into what my news was internally <laughs> so I've I'm, I'm now three yoga nidra practices in and feeling a lot better <laughs> unfortunately I didn't have the liberty to switch everything off completely today so I've 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 took the time between the important things that I had to do one of them being here this afternoon um or this morning for Susanna <laughs> um and have yeah just been making sure that I, I I give myself the nurturing that I need which is through yoga nidra that's the place that I go to be held and process the tough stuff that I'm experiencing at the moment so thank you for asking Dawn and that's my truth <laughs> now how are you doing Dawn <laughs> yeah you know a little bit the same I felt really I don't often feel anxious but I felt really anxious all day and I know why I know it's because I've got too many things on my plate and spinning too many plates um so I've kind of had to keep stopping and doing self-compassion practices and sort of stroking myself and reminding myself that is okay and calm down and you're having a difficult time and I'm really speaking to myself very gently in the way I would to one of my one of my children well how I speak to them on a good day anyway <laughs> yeah and a, and a bit like you're really busy with clients but it's a lovely spring day you know we had a blue sky I had two robins in my garden couldn't mm -hmm. find bird seeds so I fed them bread which they didn't eat maybe they don't like bread Maybe the Leon C. Robins need like organic peanuts or something. I've, <laughs> I have no idea. Hipster birds. But yeah, no, apart, apart from feeling a little bit anxious from too much work, I'm, I'm really good and very delighted with a bit more light coming to coming to the world. Um, certainly in terms of season, if not in what's happening around us, which is 
anxiety making, challenging, and frankly, heartbreaking. I'm sure we'll, you know, for people who are listening back, maybe it'll be this will go out in a month or so. You know, we're currently in the middle of this invasion into Ukraine. And I think it's important just to hold that in our hearts for a moment and, you know, send good wishes and hope for a peaceful solution very, very soon because what we're seeing is very, very challenging and hard, hard hard to witness so I can't even imagine what it's like to be there right now so um yeah Susanna how are you how is how have you arrived with us today Mm, yeah just feeling um care for each of you uh Daniel and Don and you know tuning in and empathizing. I also, Daniel, go to yoga nidra and sometimes do three, five yoga nidras in a day if, if, I, um, if I'm needing nurturing. So I can relate to that. Today, you know, last night we had, I live in Southern California and it's very dry here. And we had a baby rattlesnake come into our yard, our backyard. And so that was rather like kind of startling. So my nervous system, um, it's still a little, little ramped up for that. It, it slithered off. We don't know where it went. Um, but I have been reflecting on the symbolism, you know, as snakes like coiling into a spiral and, you know, the way they shed their skin. And so it's not immediately apparent to me what the, the meaning is. It's not like, I'm like, oh, here's the, here's the reason the snake occurred. I mean, um, but I also... Like what is needing renewal? What is needing um, refreshment or or maybe letting go? And I don't really have an answer to that, but I'm in a kind of reflective place today. And also, you know, holding in my heart both, uh, and this will get into some of what we're talking about later, but like the absolute terror and grief of, of what's happening in the world. And then also the and compassion for people who are under attack right now in Ukraine. And then also the the realization or like the truth that there are folks of color who, you know, are experiencing war and and warlike conditions that don't get the same coverage and don't get the same attention. And so holding that, you know, in like just the unspeakable suffering, the unbearable suffering of the world, to some extent, I feel like that's, part of what it means to be a yoga practitioner is to tune into that, all of it. Like when we think it's so much, we can't even hold it to open our hearts a bit more and to turn towards love and care. And then for myself, at least to do the things like yoga nidra or going on a walk with my dog or, you know, cuddling my kiddo, reading a good book that, that do allow me to then go back and open, open, open my heart. So that's where I am. Thank you. That's very insightful. I was talking just in the previous hour, I was on a sort of a live with a really incredible group that in the UK, it's called Parenting Mental Health. It's an online Facebook group for parents who have children with challenging mental health. And we were talking about just that, about how sometimes your heart is so full, you feel like you can't open it anymore. So you constrict and close it down. And we were talking about how, you know, the practices of yoga enable us to keep our heart open and to look after ourselves well. So, uh, yeah, been been in that same space myself this afternoon, just talking about just that. Such an empowering practice if one one can lean into it. 
Yeah. Susanna offered very kindly to begin with a meditation. So I'm going to thank you and hand back to you to begin with this practice. Yes. So everyone, I really love to practice meditation for a lot of reasons. And one of which is I'm a shy person. And so when I begin any kind of conversation, even a podcast like this, it really helps me settle to begin with a practice and of coming back to my breath. And, um, and so for you, as you're listening, you know, if you're driving or walking, obviously, please stay attentive to what you're doing, or if you need to be focused, but if you can, and you're somewhere where you can just, you know, even if you're at your desk, or you're washing dishes, like put the thing aside for a moment, come back to your body, come back to your breath, allow yourself to settle. I have a hand on my heart because it helps me tune in. You might have a hand somewhere on your body. Eyes can be gently resting on something in front of you or slightly closed if you'd like. And I'm going to invite the bell, a practice I learned from one of my teachers, Thich Nhat Hanh, as a way of coming back to ourselves and also share a mantra, a Shanti mantra, which is a mantra that invites us for our conversation for us all to be protected, to be nourished, to work together with beautiful and supportive energy. And you can continue to focus on your breath and your body and just keep bringing yourself ease as you listen to the bell and the chant. Om Sahana Vavatu Sahano Bhunatu Sahaviryam Karabhavahe Tejasvi Navaditamastu Mavidvishavahe Om Shanti, 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 Om. Taking a deep breath in, I invite you to stretch or expand in any direction that feels good for you. And if your eyes were closed, look around and perhaps notice something in your environment that's supportive to you. I'm noticing the light in the sky. And we'll come back to our conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm going to jump in with uh, an unquestioned, we haven't given you this question, but I'm going to go with it straight away because I think it'll lead into the conversation. Firstly, for our listeners who perhaps are unaware of what that chant meant, could you say what it meant? And then maybe could you say why you feel it's so important 
for us to use authentic language in our practice. Absolutely. So it is one of the many Shanti mantras that have been written down and practiced probably for thousands of years before that in India, um, in the Vedic culture, that is the culture that yoga comes to us from. And so this is a, a mantra of um, beginning. It's traditionally chanted at the opening of a practice or the opening of a conversation or of a teaching session. There's 10 Shanti mantras and this is one of them. And it literally translates to, um, to may you and I be protected. May we be nourished. May we work together with great energy and light. May there be no animosity between us. May there be no um, ill will in our learning together or our conversation together. And may you have peace. May your community have peace and may the whole earth have peace. Thank you. I share that at the start of every single class that I do on a Friday mm. morning. And it's been part of my practice for years. And it's funny, I've been I've been trying to encourage my students to to learn it. <laughs> and slowly each time there's a little bit more, you know, understanding, a little bit more um being able to to just feel comfortable with it but actually then really understanding the depth behind it which is so true of all of these mantras isn't it mm -hmm. uh, out of all of you could have picked them you've made me feel very at home there so thank you <laughs> yeah that's so beautiful do your do your students are they open to it, you know, um, mm. when, because I think I learned it from my my teachers in India, and and um, it's very it's very much kind of also part of something that I listen to and hear often, or and part of context where it's chanted. But I don't hear it so much in the mm. West, and so that's really beautiful, Daniel. And I'm curious well, how your students respond. Well, they 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 they. I, I did start them very lightly with the idea of chanting. So we kind of just started working with Bihar mantras and just kind of getting used to making sounds. And then I, I, I used a close, or we use a closing mantra of the Loka, Samasta, Sukhino, Bhavantu, um, mm. got them used to that. And now we're a few months in learning the new mantra, the Saha mantra. And um, it was part of my yoga therapy training. So mm -hmm. we chanted it every time we met as a group or individually. And um, it was very much influenced through my teacher, um, Lisa Kayleigh Isley. I don't know if you know Lisa at all. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's where the influence came, came from. So it's been part of my practice for I'd say about seven or eight years now and something that I've chanted almost on a daily basis. It's mm, beautiful. Could you tell us, Susanna, what was it that inspired you to write this incredible book that you've produced? Mm. Well, I love this conversation and I feel like I'd be right at home in your yoga asana classes, Daniel. <laughs> 
and maybe with many of the people listening as well. But my experience, and I'm curious for folks who are listening to think about this, is like, two for you is I actually didn't feel welcome in yoga spaces that I went into. You know, I live in Los Angeles um, and, and here yoga was presented more like a workout, more like, you know, and, and there was like fashion and loud music and it was nothing like what I had grown up with. I grew up with, um, as a, as an Indian person, you know, my family, I'm mixed. So my mom is British. My dad is from Assam and my, um, in Indian culture, your extended family is a big part of your family. It's not, it's not, it's different in the, in the sense that, so the family I grew up with um, were also my aunts and uncles who are Assamese and Bengali who are from the Northeast part of India. And so, you know, they, they were giving me advice like for school tests or if I was stressed out and couldn't sleep and it was different yoga practices, different, you know, dharana and dhyana practices, concentration and, and um, pratyahara as well, like different meditations. Um, and that was what I grew up with through my early life and then into my young adulthood. And so when I went as a teenager to go and explore yoga, I was expecting some of what, you know, I knew like my aunts and uncles weren't, and my dad weren't like yoga teachers, but I knew that they were imparting yogic wisdom. And it was nothing like what I'd experienced with my family. And so I didn't quite understand it. At first, I thought there was something wrong with me, right? So you have to kind of understand in this bigger context of um, like dominant culture or normative culture. And this might, again, for people listening, maybe you're not mixed or Indian, but maybe you're bigger body. Maybe you have a disability of some kind. Maybe, you know, like you don't have the clothes that everyone wore, you know, it, there's always ways that we can feel less than or, or on the outside of. And sometimes that isn't just about a simple situation, but it's about a bigger systemic structure of imbalance of power. But I didn't know that. I just thought I was weird and there was something wrong with me. And I was being made fun of for, you know, the ways that I was different than a typical American quote unquote. And so at first I just was confused, but then I was lucky to have community and friends. And hopefully again, for folks listening, you have this too. It's like those people that see you for, for your full gifts or who you're becoming, not just for who you are. And so one of my good friends is Patrice Cullors, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter and um, a number of like about 20 other people. We formed this community in LA where we were supporting each other with all of these issues like white supremacy, police violence, mental health struggles. Um, many folks of color, also white folks, like just be working cross, cross identity to form uh, a community of support for what we didn't have, you know, what the, the structures and schools weren't giving us. And Patrice, I remember said to me, Susanna, you always bring to our community gatherings like meditation or some movement. Why don't you go deeper in that? Why don't you study that? Why don't you learn more? And I was like, oh, no, no, I couldn't. You know, it's not even a real thing. Like no one does that here. And thank goodness I listened because what she was doing was seeing who I really fully was and also what you know, helping me grow into who I was going to become. And, and so when you have people like that around, um, around you, sometimes they're there for a time and they go away. But I, I really feel like so much of 
um, what brought this book into being is Sangha. Sangha, friendship, deep spiritual friendship, and then my family, ancestors. And so then I went to India, practice studied, and um, there's a lot more I could say about that. But just to, to kind of keep it a little tighter, came back and now started to see and understand the context of why we weren't, you know, practicing and teaching yoga, the full expansive yoga, the way that we know it can be. And I realized, oh, there's these systems at play. And so we need to break that down and understand it so we can move towards um, more, a more like respectful and connected and loving expression of what yoga is. So that was a long answer, I know. <laughs> perfect answer thank you so much yeah. what do you what possibilities and challenges do you see in yoga to in the yoga world today and how do you feel we can individually and collectively make that change mm. I mean there's so much possibility because like we were talking about earlier yoga is a practice that like it's a codified organized system for personal and social liberation. And it's worked for thousands of years. That's why we even have it here. And I reflect all the time with so much gratitude to have been born into a lifetime where I'm even exposed to yoga, right? Like it's such a gift. And and even in this this lifetime, which hopefully will be long and you know, I'll be able to I'll be able to study and learn and practice. I'll probably barely scratch the surface of all that yoga is. And, and so there's so much potential in that for each of us to find ways to, you know, I think about the practical things. For me, a lot of, honestly, a lot of it goes back to the yamas and niyamas and ethics, yoga ethics, and how I am in my daily life, like how I am with my kiddo, my child, I have a nine-year-old. And when they're like this morning, they were so challenging and, you know, like a little bit of back talk, a little bit of this, you know, and, and, and also struggling with an interpersonal thing. And I'm like, ah, oh, just in my mind, just wanted to like lash out because I was frustrated. But it was a practice that helped me breathe and calm down and practice first Ahimsa, care for myself and then Satya and not say some of the things that were going in my head, but really just listen. And then when I did, in this brief time trying before we're rushing out the door to school, we had a handful of minutes and they shared about some really deep interpersonal challenges they're having. And so if I had just railroaded through, there wouldn't have been that moment of understanding. And so to me, that was a moment of yoga, a moment of liberation where they had some opportunity to feel really heard and seen. And even though it wasn't resolved, just be there in their suffering with someone listening. And then I was able to truly connect and see another being rather than um, just cause, cause suffering. So I, I, my wish and my hope, I think, is that we practice yoga in every moment. And I think that's part of the potential. It's not just something that we do, you know, when we go to class or when we're chanting or when we're with our teacher, but, um, or teachers, but that we're really exploring how we can live. Thank you. That's so insightful. In fact, I was having a conversation earlier today, just about something similar. As the person said to me, oh, I, I just can't get on the mat. I can't, I don't do 
yoga I just like I'm too busy and I'm too I'm not stretchy enough and and I and and I said oh you know you your practice is you know the practice of asana is like one strand and a head of hair you know the practice is only pointing you inwards you know and it's through so many different ways I said it could be the way you're working could be your yoga practice or how you approach your conversations as your yoga practice or how you take care of yourself I said asana is such a small thing if that's not calling to you then find something else you know this and we were speaking about it being the process of liberation because we in society we are so bound up aren't we with the damage that we've done to each other the historic damage the internalized damage that that all of us carry and you know through the lens of our practice we have the capacity to peel back those layers and find that you know that beautiful light that cleared jewel that sits inside and it's, it's so wonderful to hear you express that and your book really eloquently offers a, a, a very accessible pathway to that 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 practice of liberation you you speak I would like to ask you a question also about you what what does white supremacy mean there's something I think that can be quite trigger and I know being really honest in the past few years I've heard a lot of language has come my way and, and I felt my hackles go up and felt defensive. And I think early conversations that I had was, well, I'm not racist. Don't call me, you know, and feeling unco- so uncomfortable and having to really sit with that and then discovering the inherent racism that was within me, perhaps. And, you know, it's, it's very hard to be that truthful with yourself. And I think, I'd really like you to talk to our listeners a little bit more about what does white supremacy really mean and how, as practitioners, we can look at, you know, what how we may have done damage within the world of yoga, for instance. Yeah. So I love what you shared, Don, and I just want to say it inspired me to remember, and this is pertinent to white supremacy, is that yoga sees us every one of us as completely whole and perfect and already already complete, right? There's just these things that get put on top, these um, places or, you know, like blocks or distractions from our, our true self. And so in a way, white supremacy is like any of the other isms or, or bids for power that is a structure or layer on top of who we are that changes us um, and changes how we behave in the world. And it's the same with culture, right? Because white supremacy is a system. It's not really about individual people although in, in the sense of like a white supremacist, which is someone who has a belief in pro-whiteness explicitly as anti-black or anti-people of color. And that's different because I hear people say, well, I'm not I'm not a white supremacist and that's great. Yes, you know, like I have, I'm like I said, I'm mixed. My mom is white, half my family is white. And so they're not white supremacists, but they and and even folks of color are all, we're all swimming in an ocean that has a structure of power that is called white supremacy. And so what is that structure, right? It's a system of power that privileges um, people who are white and posits that white people are fundamentally better, superior, more intelligent, more worthy, their lives are more worthy than other people. And that therefore they should hold the highest positions in society and dominate all other races. So that's a pretty heavy thing 
to hear. And I just want to invite folks to, to breathe, particularly if you are white. Um, well, actually all of us, right? Because it's, it's challenging to look at these beliefs that we may either be unconsciously enacting or have, or be perpetrating or be targeted by. So the thing with white supremacy is it's not about individuals only. It's about many, many individuals making up a system. So even with this current war, you know, that, gosh, I hope by the time that the podcast goes out, um, we've found peace, but I, I'm not sure if we will have. And so there's wars happening in Africa, you know, in, in um, Central America, in, in other places in the world where people of color are being killed in, in huge and devastating numbers. There's people dying um, from hunger or from, you know, um, other, other kind of social conditions of oppression that are people of color that we're not up worrying about or talking about or praying for or like stressing about. And, and so why is it that when there is a war that is in a country filled with primarily white folks, we pay attention. And I don't say this to in any way say these people are more valuable or these people are less valuable. All of them matter, right? All of, all of life is important to care for, but noticing even that white, the, the insidiousness of white supremacy and who gets our compassion and whose lives we think of as worthy. And then sometimes I just want to give one last example. Um, sometimes we don't realize, but if I say like, you know, my last, um, a few months ago, my, my son broke his arm and we went to the hospital and a doctor set his arm. We were so grateful to that doctor for all the work they did. Um, and later we wrote a note, took it back in to say, thank you. When you visualize that story, who was the doctor? What did they look like? You know, was it an Indian woman? Was it a black man or was it a white man? And so there's a way too that we may not even realize that we're, we're and this happens for me, right? As, as a person of color, I project when I hear about a leader or a teacher, sometimes I know when you shares their gender or their race, I, my mind creates a picture that doesn't see someone that looks like me. For those who can't, who can't see me, I'm um, a light-skinned, brown, cisgendered woman. And so, um, so I haven't seen myself represented in a lot of structures and positions of power. And that too is white supremacy, but it's not just um, the fault of any one person. And it, and, and it is all of our responsibility to help change. I suppose that, you know, if we then focus in on Western yoga, Westernized yoga is yeah. predominantly run by affluent white people. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, <laughs> then throws a whole heap of issues around black, indigenous, people of color, queer people, mm -hmm. um, people who maybe don't present as able-bodied in, in, in their bodies or in the ways that they, they may move or be able to get in and out of the places where the classes are being held. And suddenly, you know, we've got 
white supremacy happening within an organization or within you know a structure of of yoga teaching in the west that hasn't been done to intentionally harm but does harm because of the people that are in charge yeah yeah and this is the tricky part is like there's so many things you can do right to to shift this and and i particularly imagine for many people listening it's like well you might be thinking i'm white the studio i teach at is white or practice at is you know is all white like what are you saying are you saying we're we're doing something wrong and and it's i would i would kind of open up to invite you to think of it's not so much again about like what's wrong it's about what clashes what blocks can we remove so we can get more to the heart of liberation for you for other people and the heart of yoga because the tricky thing is South Asians in particular, Indians, Daisies, other, um, and Daisy means like a South Asian, a diasporic South Asian person, um, have been excluded from the site of authority and teaching in general in yoga in the West. And it's not an accident because when you remove people from, you know, their kind of cultural leadership and heritage, it's easier to take over that that knowledge and then exploit it. Again, not necessarily intentionally, but one of the many, there's so many things we can do to, um, to more kind of like thoughtfully connect back to, um, to the heart of what yoga is. And I, and I would really say this gets to like appreciating culture, um, connecting with the codes, the mores, the values, the practices from within yoga culture, which is includes Indian culture. And then um, using your power or your ability or your position or, you know, whatever you have to, to uplift folks from, you know, everyone you were sharing, Daniel, like folks with disabilities, queer folks, trans folks, non-binary folks, um, folks of color, and, you know, um, folks who have are neurodivergent like there's so many so many people who can benefit from yoga who are left out and so what can you do maybe there's a particular group or community that you're connected to um, in my life I have some really important I'm a cis person but I um, meaning identify with the gender I was assigned at birth but I have some really important people in my life, many, many who are trans or non-binary. And so one of the things I do is in that place of privilege is seek to employ, right? Bring into my teacher trainings that I run mentors who are non-binary or trans, seek to um, bring in guidance, leadership on the places where I may not be um, equipped or, and I shouldn't really be the one teaching on those topics because, um, because that's someone else's role to do. And so in that way for folks, you can connect to read books, you know, like decolonize your bookshelf, read books by black authors, South Asian authors, um, listen to podcasts like this, or, you know, other like take practices, there's so much now free and paid out there where you can learn from different teachers that uplift and respect and care for the source culture. Thank you. It's a, it's a conversation Daniel and I have been having for quite a long time, Daniel, isn't it? Around our very white studio. And, you know, we keep having this conversation around, we try to show all different types of people from different 
um, color, different abilities, different sizes and shapes, different ages in our marketing. We try and open up the space to be accessible to everybody. Um, lots of different price points. And it still doesn't, you know, it's still, I mean, that's maybe an element of where we live in the world, you know, the, the culture that we're around. But we're speaking about perhaps, you know, platforming the podcast, you know, offering different people opportunities to host it and things but it kind of feels a little bit like you know, maybe this is something I have to work on myself I feel almost like I'm part of the problem you know and I, I'm, I'm maybe I don't know I've got there's so much I need to understand and learn and investigate internally like almost a sense of like you know what, what more can I do what more can I do to and I felt like your explanation was so kind actually so thank you I didn't feel in any way attacked it felt very it felt very understood and very very spacious around the topic but yeah, Daniel I don't know if you want to say anything about that I was just going to add Dawn that I think you know when we had this conversation actually we realized that the podcast is a really great way for us to be able to access people who maybe there isn't a, a natural demographic in our immediate region so we have invited lots of people um, who are able to either eloquently speak about these situations or people that are offering yoga for trans communities or yoga in black communities mm. or, you know, um, highlighting um, Indian Ayurvedic doctors and, you know, just mm. help helping to keep that information flowing so in effect like you were saying Susanna using our place of privilege mm. and being able to actually allow that platform to be used for others who have platforms themselves but might not mm. access you know our communities or our demographic very well so mm -hmm. you know in a way that feels to me like it's it I know I know when we've when Dawn and I've spoken about it, we'd love to see more people different to us in class. But to mm. me, this feels like this is a good way to start to build that momentum. Um, I, I kind of know, yeah, but I'll let you. I'll let you jump in. <laughs> I just, I love, yeah, I love this. I think it is a great example of using your platform to bring in different voices. And I think there's such an important place of kind of knowing your, knowing who you are and who your community is, right? Because only you, and this is for listeners too, only you can help the people you're here to help. Like some people in your life will only ever learn something from you and they're not going to learn it from me. They're not going to learn it from, you know, and, and so it actually is really important that you you do what you're here to do um, and open those doors, build those bridges. And so I just want to celebrate that and, and definitely um, kind of underscore that there is a, a needed role for that. You don't have to do everything, right? Like you don't have to be someone else. Like you be who you are and be that for the people who you're that for. Was just reflecting on three years ago, I started a queer yoga class. And now it's popular. <laughs> it took three years <laughs> of myself and um, a couple of other queer teachers sometimes turning up and teaching each other because <laughs> no one turned up. 
Yeah. But now people know where we are, but it takes a long time and it takes even it takes a longer time to bring in people who are feeling ostracized by what they're seeing. It does. It does. That's yeah. And the other thing is, I don't know, you know, exactly where everyone is, of course, who's listening, but I do a lot of work building connections with organizations that are already doing the work. Um, So for example, in uh, the LA area where I am working with organizations that work with um, court involved or, you know, people who are, who are impacted by the criminal justice system, which is not something that I need to go and start, right, or do or connect my yoga to necessarily, but I can build relationships with other organizations like Dignity and Power Now, um, or there's, there's other wonderful organizations where I am, and I can do many things. Like, for example, if I'm running a workshop, can offer 10, 15% of the donation or the money that comes in in donation to those organizations that I want to support, or I can go and ask them, you know, after I've built a relationship, I wouldn't just like knock on the door or call them up and be like, hey, can I offer yoga in your community? But after we know each other a little bit, um, seeing if there's an opportunity for, you know, people, if their community would want yoga or, um, and I did this when I lived in Orlando for a time, I built a relationship with a, um, like an activist training organization that did incredible work and then got funding to train 15 of their activists and organizers in through our yoga teacher trainings for free. So that way people who are doing really impactful work have the tools and the skills of yoga to rely on and they can bring them to their communities. And so just for me, a lot of this is about honestly getting creative, like building relationship and getting creative and, um, and seeing the ways that we can work together. Thank you. That's, that's so optimistic is the word I would use it because <laughs> sometimes this stuff can feel really heavy and it can get sticky yeah. and messy and um, you walk around I've certainly walked around for the long period of time just feeling guilty and feel like oh my god I'm part of the problem and should I even be teaching and all this stuff you know and actually what you've said felt really um it's it's, it's raised my energy a little bit I feel a little bit more Species around it, a little bit more hopeful. Daniel, just going back to something Dr. Gao said in our last podcast was do it, but do it scared. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Don't think about the outcome. Just Mm. go and do it Mm. and see what happens. I'm very mindful of your time because I know you've got to be somewhere else and we did have more questions, but we're going to save them for another time. (laughs) Because I think what I want to just really do is encourage our readers to go and buy your book because actually the work will happen when you read and make notes and journal and reflect and, you know, really use it as a tool to shine your inner jewel um, and, you know, become more part of this world of integrating interconnection. You know, we're, we're all part of it. We all have, we're part of the problem, but also part of the solution. So I really uh, go buy the book. Buy it for a friend as well. That would be good. Buy it for your studio. That'd be a great thing. Um, but Daniel, I'll pass back to you. Well, there's one question I always ask everybody, um, Susanna, which is how do you take care of yourself? 
Hmm. I love this question, Daniel, when, you know, maybe three years ago, someone asked me that and everything that they asked, they asked me to actually write what I saw as selfish. And then how did I care for myself? And I realized almost everything in the selfish column was actually ways that I needed to take care of myself. And so I'll just share that what was in that column was like taking time for myself, taking a bath when I want to take a bath. Um, What else was it like taking a walk? And I was like, oh, these are actually just things that that actually aren't selfish. Like there there are ways that I can care for me. And so the last few years, I've been so much more... um, happy honestly because I have been I have been taking care of myself practice you know I do a a consistent mantra um, mudra meditation and asana practice and the last way is I'm always learning I love to learn and so being in classes or learning, you know, in, in unexpected ways, could be learning from a friend or learning from a situation. But I'm that for me is is the hugest kind of self care. It's like what what here can I learn and grow from? I think for me that kind of sums up what yoga is is that ultimate way of keep learning, keep looking inwards, keep reflecting. Because once you know what's going on internally, then you can start to have that significant changes in the external world that we all have responsibility for yeah well thank you so much for your time today Susanna um it's been a real pleasure to chat with you um thank you Dawn for your questions and being here and um, we really hope you listening enjoyed the podcast um, if you have any questions, then please do fire them over to us. If you'd like to leave us a review or feedback, please do. But until next time, thank you, Susanna. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Dawn. And thank you for listening.